Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of Baka and Company has a content warning. The anime we are about to discuss has graphic scenes of violence language not suitable for younger audiences, and scenes that depict gruesome acts of violence. This anime series is recommended for a mature audience. If you have any issues with the above topics that we have mentioned, we recommend you do not continue with this episode. And check us out on Twitter at Bakako Podcast. Welcome one and all, weebs and casuals alike, we are Baka and Company, and we're here to provide you with a deep dive into all your favorite anime shows and movies. We'll talk about both new and old animes, and everything in between. If you have suggestions, please send them our way at Podcast on Twitter, or Podcast at gmail.com. Through our Twitter, you can also reach our link tree, and have a link to our Discord server to talk with us in real time. We also want to thank Akano from SoundCloud for our intro. On this episode, we have myself, Drew Tendo64, and no. Element. And today we're going to talk about Akudama Drive, a series from 2020. Mm-hmm. So a more recent series with a lot of fancy animations and, and great visuals. Uh, I'm going to let Element take it away here because uh, you did suggest it. So um, I did. Uh, this series popped up on my radar uh, towards the start of that that season. I think maybe that was winter season. It was the end of the year, I believe, for 2020. Um, and I just yep. remember seeing two things about it. One, that it was an original series, which are not... There's plenty of original series around, but I feel like um, it's not awfully common that... Uh, you get a lot of hype for them for obvious reasons, you know, no one knows what to expect from them. But uh, this one, I think what made it stand out was the character designer was the guy who worked on Duncan Roper. So if you are familiar with that series and you look at this show, you'll probably recognize or a lot of the characters will feel very familiar in their designs, I think. I'm pretty sure it's Duncan Roper, right? I'm not crazy. I can take a look. We have the magic um, of the internet. But yeah, the... I'm pretty sure that's the case, and uh, yeah, that's sort of what uh, clued people in on this show. Uh, and then I remember that first episode just, like, going a thousand miles an hour, never taking a break, like, insane visuals, really beautiful animations in the world, and, you know, a pretty interesting uh, premise to start off with. Uh, I think that really got people on board with the show, and it was, like, one of the bigger shows for that season. And for some reason, I just didn't finish it. I don't know what happened, but I, w- I was watching it week to week, and then halfway through, I stopped. So I'm really glad that we decided to do the show uh, for the podcast this week, because uh, that actually gave me the excuse to finish the show, and I was really happy with how it went. <laughs> 
Well, uh, you're 100% right with the character designer. It's uh, Komatsuzuki uh, Rui, uh, which is nice. the guy who does Danganronpa. So definitely uh, right in there. That's what caught me as well when you suggested it. And we were looking at it a couple weeks ago and I was pulling stuff up. I was like, all right, these are really like each character has their own personality just by their looks. They're not all like generic um hair and minor body swaps they all like have different physiques different hairstyles different facial styles and that kind of caught me pretty early and like you were saying how it's going 100 miles an hour like right from the get-go um those first three episodes when you're getting to know everyone getting to know the heist getting to figure everything out i was i was in by the end of episode two like episode one i'm always like Mm -hmm. okay let's see how it goes and I think as a podcast, we've also developed like the three episode rule where watch the first three. If you like it, great, keep going. If not, drop it. But this was one of the things that I I couldn't drop it. Like I, I would stop it because I had other things to do <laughs> as an adult. But the moment I had spare time, I was watching this and like I'm I'm very impressed with like its story, its execution, even the world building with like their um their their sentences like they have x number of years and that's how like uh scary an akudama could be i found that really cool uh and it was just something like each character like had an impression on me minus hacker but i think everyone was like pretty memorable and and had like key components in the story helped either progress the story or had a really detailed anchor in that story. And just, like, I'm not going to spoil it right away at the top of our podcast, but the last three episodes, like, wow. Yeah, I uh, I mean, to your point about Hacker, I, and this, so every, every character in the show, every main character in the show, actually I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure every single character in the show has some sort of arc. Um you know main characters not included and and not excluded um yeah and hacker i think to your point is probably the weakest arc for me um he sort of he's very much like it's all in the name like he's just there to hack shit and then he goes away uh you know early on in the show and doesn't come back towards the end and he's ending uh you know it's it's sort of like uh you know a hacker with a heart of gold sort of ending um but it's it was like a weird sequence that they decided to do for him, where he was like hacking into the the thing at the end, the supercomputer or whatever it was. Um, I just I thought that was a little bit weird yeah. and it, like out of tone for the show maybe. Um, but maybe I just had a wrong read on it. But his was the only one that I wasn't like you know a hundred percent like that was awesome. Every other character had a like a perfect character arc for me, um, even though they all died. Um, they all they all um sort of ended their stories in ways that like satisfied their initial character promise like um you know brawler going out with one final awesome fight or um the doctor wanting control over everyone and the end she gets trampled by the uncontrollable mob um hoodlum being a total coward and in the end sacrificing himself to to save the the kids or whatever um it's it's all just it felt really really uh tightly written um you know, I think it, it is crazy, you know, don't get me wrong, like, it's not like a, a Shakespearean masterpiece or anything like that, but I think, especially maybe because we watched those other two shows <laughs> two weeks ago, um, this was, like, so refreshing to have something that felt like, especially an anime original that was meant to wrap up in 12 episodes, or was it 12 or 13? Um, um, okay. 12. Um, it just felt like, yeah, they had, you know, the full scope of the story planned out from the start and they wrote it all gave all the characters appropriate arcs and ended it cleanly with a nice ending that i was pretty happy with so yeah overall i was like super happy with the show like i i can't add more onto that but but i'll try like it like you're saying they each had completed arcs and like you get first introduced to um swindling Scoundrel. Swindler. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to call her Scoundrel. 
uh, swindler, and she's just like an ordinary person trying to carry out her ordinary life. She gets um, roped into it like through Courier. She meets Courier, and he's eating, and like just that interaction of how she gets roped into it just through mm-hmm. circumstances. And I've always enjoyed anime that take that route. Like, don't get me wrong, I I do enjoy meeting the hero and they're super mega overpowered and they have to deal with everyday life. Like, Devil is a part-timer, like, has this huge setup that you're going to be in with these characters that are just unstoppable and then it flips it on its heels and, and and you're in the real world. Whereas this just just goes like everyone is who they are like their their names are exactly who they are so we got courier who drives uh, a Gundam bike is the best word I can use for it um, hacker hacks doctor for whatever reason has the ability to like come back from the dead and surgically reattach herself yeah her abilities were a little bit crazy for a did. little while there like when she got her head cut off right was it a head or did her neck get cut open yeah. No, yeah, sure. so she's got, got like a little bit of crazy abilities, but um, it's sort of like, you know, suspension of disbelief compared to everyone else. <laughs> Again, yeah, it's, it's an anime. Um, and then we have Brawler who likes to punch shit and he gets bored if he's not fighting at like the next level. Um, poor Hoodlum is just a guy who's in jail for four years for like tax evasion <laughs> or whatever he does. We have the super mega ultimate killer. Um mr cutthroat yep. who he like as the series progressed like i i did enjoy his character and like when we first meet him he's like yeah i'm gonna kill you but maybe not right now and i was like okay maybe he'll have a change of heart throughout the series and you know what maybe he'll like <laughs> kill for good absolutely not <laughs> yeah i was his 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 turn was the biggest shock to me, and uh, it shouldn't have been. But yeah, I it thought was. they were gonna play it, and they sort of did this on the train. Like, even though he's a psycho and he's obviously a bad, bad dude, like his obsession with Swindler would have her sort of like manipulating him into, you know, essentially protecting her and the kids and stuff. Um, but obviously, at the end of the show, he just becomes a full-on psychopath and tries to kill her. Um, he was the I'm trying to think like what his did he say like I'm gonna kill you at the start? I can't remember. I believe he did. Like he got he he got like up really close to her and he was like I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna get you and then she mm-hmm. was like, Please don't. That wouldn't be very nice and he kinda like he did this thing where he's like, You're right, it wouldn't be or someone <laughs> knocked him out or something and said they were defending him. Yeah, so he um he he had another sort of it was a weird arc, but it was a good arc, I think. Um, he sort of, I guess, fulfilled or you know acted upon his character, right? Like he's a psycho, and he was obsessed with her. Yeah. And at the end, it becomes like it becomes uh when she's essentially ripe for the kill, you know, as he promised, he went to go and kill her. So I think that was all like, you know, pretty telegraphed. Um. Did you the version you watched was that censored? Yeah. So oh, yeah. I remember watching this um when it was currently airing, the censoring was out of control. Like just white and black lines everywhere, like blocking everything. And I mean, it makes sense because the show's so, like hella violent and like really graphic about it. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I didn't get any of the bright lights, but a lot of the time either the the background and the foreground were dulled to the same. Mm-hmm level so it was a little bit hard to see but when cutthroat goes on his rampage and goes through um the police department yeah. or the executioners and that's another thing here so although we have these super criminals running around uh there's two type of police forces in this in this world one is the actual police force which registers the offenders based on what they do and the worse you do and the more bad things you do, uh, you become an Akudama and you're ranked, I believe it's one of those D to yeah. S class things. And and the more years you have, the worse you are. However, the police force can only imprison you. Um, there's a separate group called the Executioners and they are charged in killing Akudama. Um, and they're, I believe, the only people that are allowed yes. to do it. Uh, I, don't, it, I think police down. are the only ones that can 
designate someone as an Akudama, and executioners can only kill Akudama. If they kill an innocent person, then they themselves would probably be marked as an Akudama. Yeah, and um, so like, I I enjoyed I enjoyed who they had for the executioners, but like we didn't get to spend it because it's again only a twelve episode series. Um, we didn't get enough time to spend with them and and fully realize who these people are. You kind of just get thrown into like there's a master, there's an apprentice. They always work in groups of two, just like <laughs> the Sith. Um, and again, very similar to the Sith, uh, one always gets like their ambitions get a little too big for themselves and they go off and meet their doom. But I found, I found that even the world building, when they did go back and like, Hey, we're executioners. This is our job. We got to stop these Akudama. Like you look at it and you're like, all right, like legit, this makes sense. But then when we start getting heavier into the plot about the heist, about it being less of a heist, more of a rescue. Um, you're like, well, maybe maybe these people should have a turn of heart and like learn that like Akudama aren't all like painted with the same brush. Like we could probably classify Brawler and Cutthroat probably as the two that <laughs> should be Akudama, but like to me when we meet Courier, he's like a point A to point B guy. He he very early on we realize he he doesn't care what the job is as long as he gets paid. And he's got a really cool bike to do it. That seems kind of like, like I mentioned earlier, a Gundam that can do everything. Like it's got laser cannons in the back, like machine guns, a rail gun, grappling hooks. And he, the way he maneuvers it, like in air, like it's weightless. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a cool bike. It's pretty cool. But yeah, like if they came out with a courier figure on a bike, I would yeah, probably buy dope. it. Um, but if they came out with any other characters as a figure, except maybe Brawler, I would <laughs> I would not be interested. <laughs> yeah, I think um, for the executioners, uh, I think they're interesting. I think, I mean, it seems like so the initial set of executioners we sort of follow are the master with his mask on his face, and then his sort of um, apprentice who um, is the 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 girl um and he sort of has like a bit of a death yeah. wish i think um he just wants to he wants to finish his hunt you know no matter the cost and he does you know he takes down brawler but he also dies in the process so that's like sort of completes his arc right and then his student takes over and she uh she just wants revenge no matter what um so her arc is like uh you know, trying to get revenge on these Akadama that killed her master. And she gets, you know, a new apprentice herself to follow her. And she's like, you know, frustrated that this guy is like, you know, terrified of everything and doesn't have the experience. I think there could have been more development there. It seemed like maybe there was sort of room for a little bit more of a, a storyline for the development there. Cause I feel like that the, the new kid really didn't get much time. And then at the end he sort of gets shot. I don't think he dies. Uh, they sort of imply that he's not going to die you know, but, um, it, uh, yeah. I feel like they, if there was a bit more development, that, that whole sequence of events might've been more impactful. Um, but you know, the end of her arc is that she finally realizes she doesn't need revenge necessarily. Um, she's there to defend the people, uh, when her boss, you know, essentially loses it and starts categorizing all the innocent people as Akudama. She realizes that this is like pretty fucked up and, uh, this is not what the executioners are about, which is, funny because of their name um yeah uh, yeah so i think i think you know that that whole storyline is pretty decent but i think it could have used more room to develop and i think interestingly enough so i didn't i didn't get to watch this i couldn't find the extra scenes anywhere but the on the blu-ray version um well first of all everything's uncensored so that's pretty dope but also um in the 12th episode there's i think five minutes extra of scenes and they're all focused around the executioners and like some extra development for them. But I couldn't find those scenes oh, anywhere okay. on like YouTube or anything like that. And obviously I, I don't have the Blu-ray, oh, so I couldn't actually tell you what the content of those were. But if I, if I were to guess, the scene, <laughs> from what I read in the comments, um, they were like dedicated to developing the executioners post the events of the episode. So I guess maybe that would have actually alleviated some of my issues with the the lightness of the story there um but i also 
watched the majority of the show censored. And then the last three episodes, I think, I got uncensored. Um, yes. Really? Um, which was pretty dope. I think it's a real shame about the censoring. I get why they had to do it, because this show was, like, insanely violent. I mean, there's one particular moment that's, like, the most disgusting thing I've seen in a long time. Um, the one with the, the tuna can. Was that... Oh yeah, when when Swindler and sister are trying to like escape and yep. live for yeah, a little that, bit. That yeah. shit was horrifying. Um saw that uncensored. Jesus Christ. I also have a thing around eye things, so, <laughs> so that uh that messed oh, me yeah, up. But yeah. um yeah, it was it, it's clear that the the show is like really beautifully animated. I mean we mentioned this at the start, but it's like animation, the art direction, um, character design, all that stuff is really beautiful. Um and yeah, it's a shame that a lot of that stuff had to be covered up with, like, you know, really ugly black bars and stuff like that because of censoring. But if you do get the opportunity to watch the uncensored version, highly recommend it, assuming you can stomach the violence. Um, well, we talked about bad CGI a while back with uh, hmm. Tanya the Evil, and I found this show did a really good job blending traditional animation, even though a lot of it is cleaned hmm. up in computers now. Uh, but with actual CGI, because anytime, like, the bike is doing something crazy, it would switch from being, like, very digital animation to fully CGI. And even the the way the billboards are in this show, it's kind of like, imagine a Green Lantern hard light projection where, like, these billboards are coming out at you in 3D. Uh, people's, like, images, when they show who's wanted as an Akudama, they pop out. And I found none of it really turned me away. I never stopped. I never stopped an episode to like scroll back and be like, "Is that CGI? Is that yeah animation?" Where think... I did, I did that a couple times with Tanya. But overall, this show, like you're saying, it was executed in such a a good way. And I'm I'm very sad that it is only twelve. Yeah. Episodes. Um. Yeah, I didn't want to talk about the CG stuff because. I never had an issue with CG. Um, when it's bad, it's very noticeable and that sucks. But, you know, the 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 idea that a show has CG, therefore I'm going to turn off the show, is absurd to me. Um, one, you know, nowadays a lot of 2D animation is done on the computer as well. Um, and two, it's just, you know, just like any other tool, you know, people can be good or bad at it. And I think especially, you know, from the 2010s to the mid you know, up to 2015 and a little later than that, I think people were just figuring out how they wanted to use, you know, CG. And a lot of the times the problem is because it's cheaper to do than 2D, studios that run out of budget will will lean on the CG stuff to sort of get them through an episode. And that's why it always looks so shit is because it's literally there because they ran out of money sort of thing. Um, but when you have a show like this where it's clear that they obviously had the full scope planned, they had the budget for it, they weren't rushed in any way, everything was, you know, it was all complete. It was a complete show. There wasn't any, you know, budget issues or scheduling issues, anything like that. This is where you can see, like, I mean, the bike, I don't think it's ever 2D. It's always a CG object. That is, I think it is so. Always CG? I have to okay. go back and look at it again, but I'm pretty sure that the bike is always CG. Um, and, you know, especially when he's, like, you know, maneuvering and stuff, that's obviously CG. When he's maneuvering throughout the 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 city or whatever you know yeah. there's all these crazy shots of the camera swinging around and stuff like that and it's only possible because of cg animation like the whole city is cg in that instance even though maybe the textures on the buildings are 2d you know like you said even the billboards and stuff those are all like cg projections and they look really beautiful it really it really brings the city to life um a lot of that stuff so i think i think cg just gets a bad rap because of the situations it tends to be employed but when you have a show like this where it's obviously been planned in from the start and everything's budgeted correctly you get a beautiful product like this and the cg is it's a complementary feature and not a detriment to the show um and i think that's the case with i think i think as of recently like the last you know two years or so or a couple of years this has definitely been the case more and more mm -hmm. um there's still going to be shows like god the most recent season of overlord which is i think two years ago now or something like that had awful CG, but that was clearly because they just didn't have the budget to do those scenes with 2D. And, you know, it showed because the CG looked like garbage and that really like soured people on the season as a whole. Um, but then you've got shows like, uh, 
uh, um, Hoseki no Kuni. I can't remember the English name for it now. Um, the the gem one that we watched, um, where the studio. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, Land um, of the Lustrous. Where the studio is obviously like experts in CG animation, and the whole show is built that way. That show is beautiful, and the animation is beautiful. You know, it's it's just a matter of how the tool is used, and not just the tool itself is bad. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Well, no, I get, I get it. Like, um, it, it really blows my mind how studios utilize CG. Like, in, in what I want to believe is that these studios share information, or even, like, if you have a professional who is like, "Hey, I'm, I'm one of the guys that worked the CG on Land of the Lustrous," um, how, how a studio doesn't interact with them or like hey who do you who have you worked with that you suggest we could use or could it be you like i don't know how contracts Mm. work in the scheme of things but i know i know a few of my animator friends uh that either currently now work at netflix or formerly worked for some of the animation houses near me um they they have a a network of people and when they get approached like uh, one of my good friends did approached as a director for centaur world they were like, hey, you've worked on X, Y, and Z. Is there anyone you'd like to bring mm, in with interesting. you? And so, and it was one of those, well, like, I need this person as a revisionist. They really understand my, like, trains of thought. I need this person as, like, a, a colorist because they know the tones that I, I like to use. And, again, these are very small examples of a, one person who knows very little about the animation industry in North America, let alone Japan. But... Like you're saying, when we see great CG, we always celebrate it, we always cheer for it, and then, like you're saying with uh, Overlord or even the weird feet in Tanya, um, it, it's just that little tweak that I, I don't know how those get through revision. I don't know how that gets through to the director, and the director says, yeah, okay, that's fine. Because even in a in a monster of a show like the final season of Attack on Titan... They had, um, they had. It was either episode three or four, where you're getting to learn about the, um, the characters on the mainland and how they interact with the war and all this other things. But they do a scene where it's kind of rotoscoped, and for those who don't know what rotoscoping is, it's where you film it live action, and you essentially color on top of it. And the way these people are moving, turning their heads. It's kind of like they're overacting. Like if you're watching like an improv show where someone's trying to convey, like if they were to like, uh, Drew, you have to walk like you're a very powerful, well-known cowboy. And to me, you would stick your legs out. You'd put your hands on your hips and you kind of like shake your shoulders as you walk and be like, yeah, I'm a badass. There's a couple of things like that in the Attack on Titans that I saw and I was like, okay, this is weird. But I wasn't criticizing it. It was a design choice. Maybe uh, the director said, hey, we need more. Like, you need to feel who these characters are before we, we get into them. And that's the last <laughs> well, one I mean, thought. Um, but CGI, yeah. see, like, it's different for everyone. And I don't know why there isn't a more, like, kind of uniform use of Yeah, it. I think it's just down to, you know, director and studio and stuff. You know, it's also, I think we also take for granted um, that, every studio can do the same thing when that is clearly not the case. Um, some studios have people that are yeah. good at certain things. And so they focus on those sort of strengths. Um, I mean, attack on Titan. That's funny. Like all the, they made that decision when they, they, uh, studio wit stopped doing it. Right. And they trans, they, it changed to another studio in the last season or studio with the one that took over. I can't remember. Yeah, they went, no, um, hold on, I think, yeah, because Mappa, okay, yeah, yeah. Ma- Mappa, Mappa is the one that's doing it now, and Studio Wit was doing it the, all the other seasons, so when they transferred yeah. to Mappa, they made a decision to make all the Titan CGO, because this season was going to be heavy, you know, in Titan sort of stuff, and those are pretty hard to, to draw and animate, so um, they made the decision to go with CG, and, you know, people weren't happy, because we had, like, three seasons or whatever of, like, really beautiful 2D animation of Titans, and the transition to CG, while I think they did a good job, it was not as good as the 2D for me personally. But then also when the Blu-ray came out, they touched up a bunch of stuff and, you know, added like Aaron's got green eyes on his Titan, you know, which he should have had, but he didn't have in the the original airing. Um, stuff like that. So, 
yeah, I think I think it's just it's growing pains, you know. I think the the industry is still developing and they've gotten much better at it, but it's still not uh it's I mean it's not on par with 2D animation and how could it because 2D animation's been around for you know half a century or whatever it is longer and CG's only been around for 20 years or whatever it is in you know used in this sort of production aspect. So um yeah, it's just you know a time thing. It'll get better, I'm sure. I I think so too. Like we like you said, we're taking things for granted. Like if we go if we want to get in our time machines and and look at where we started with CG animation, like watch Beast Wars or watch Reboot or like any like the original <laughs> Jimmy Neutron. Um some of those shows they were able to succeed because they knew the limitations of what they could do. And there's like a whole, and I know we're super off track at this point. There's a whole YouTube about the animators that worked on Jimmy Neutron and what they could do to hide things. So like they would use the environments that they created so that when they were rendering, like characters were half on the screen or hidden behind things or moved around so that when it rendered, it wasn't taking up so much time because like it's only showing a third of this character. They would only animate what they yeah, need. Yeah, I mean to. that's that's like video game and optimization as, stuff as well. Right, right. And then as as we moved on, we have like obviously the Pixar level quality of animation, or like uh, take the new Transformers um, trilogy, which is phenomenally done, and the attention to detail there is wild, and it blows my mind every time. But um, when we go back to Japan and what MAPPA does, or even um, like some of the stuff in Space Dandy, I find you're a hundred percent right there. Uh, element with saying like it, it is a learning curve, and it and it does, I guess, depend on the studio because it could be the studio's first time using CG. It could have been the studio's third time, and they're trying to do something different than what they did because they got bad feedback and. Again, we're we're just people yakking about it. we don't have too much of an insight because a lot of these shows we don't get production notes. Like a, a North American show, once it gets into Wikipedia, once it gets into uh, IMDb, a lot of the time you'll see production notes and it'll be like, um, during the filming of this scene, like so-and-so had a cold and you'll notice this. Whereas when we look at the production notes of Attack on Titan, it's like, to save money... Studio Mappa was brought in, and then that's all we get. Yeah, speaking of production notes, I feel like there's a site called Sakugaboru, I think, and they do production notes for currently airing shows sometimes. I don't know if these notes are like some sort of like translated thing from like a director's tweets or if they're just making remarks on the production of the show from an outsider's perspective. Um, but I have definitely seen people post production notes for like currently airing series on Reddit. Um, I've never actually bothered reading. What's the website? Uh, Sakugaboru. Um, yeah, I if you just type in production it, yeah. notes, you'll probably find what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, I've seen this yeah, website um, before. Anyway, back to Akadama. We I'm going to bookmark them, realm, yeah. But it was interesting. Yeah, of course. I like talking yeah, about Yeah, back on that train. Anyway. Um, all right. Favorite episode? Ooh, favorite episode? Um, I really liked um, Brawler's first fight with the Executioner when he's like he's he thinks he's going at it full tilt and he's clearly unable to win, and Hoodlum is there like beefing him up, telling him he's like you got this, like. You can't tell me that me with 700 years uh, sentence would uh, impede you or whatever he says. He's like, you're right. I don't want you to get involved because if you do, it'll be over in a second. And then he's just like given it and he's like being beaten back. And you start to see that bond grow between those two characters where like Hudlum's slowly learning. He's like, I'm just this guy's hype man. He's an idiot. And Brawler's feeding off this like, I can't disappoint him. <laughs> he's my bro and i thought that connection and and like their their whole dynamic was probably my favorite in the series. yeah i really liked the i really liked the doctor character honestly i thought she was like 
Uh, yeah, I really? I mean, you know, she's like a pretty pure villain, you know, same way as Cutthroat is. But I liked her motivations. And I sort of liked the sort of backstory that they're hitting, hinting at with her. Like, I think she was previously a man and she sort of modified her body to be like a woman because she sort of like uh, hints at it. I think in that episode after she sleeps with Hoodlum, um, she says, do I... She's like, do I that's look right, like a woman to you? And he's like, what? And she's like, sorry, that's a strange thing to ask. <laughs> but um, I think that's sort of what they're hinting at. Like the idea that she has such a pure control over her body that she can just literally change everything about it to her whim that she possibly started as a man initially and and transitioned to being a woman um, under her own power, which is pretty awesome um, as like a backstory that they don't, they don't necessarily dive into it and say it explicitly, but I think it's... Uh, she was like a cool character to me and her motivation was, even though it was like uh very base level evil, it was cool to me. Um, and mm-hmm. her end at like the end of her story was, you know, perfectly written. I think it was like super satisfying, you know, from start to finish for me. Um, so I really liked that character and I really liked the uh, swindler too. I think she obviously had the most satisfying uh, arc in terms of very obvious character growth from start to finish. Like she starts off, essentially swindling everyone into thinking she's an Akudama and a badass when she's obviously in way over her head. And then as the show progresses, she slowly becomes more and more, uh, uh, I guess in charge of her circumstances and, and strong minded to the point where she actually becomes swindler. And she finally gets her like awesome animated intro in like the final episode. And it's like, it's such an awesome payoff. Uh, (laughs) And then she finally swindles everyone else into thinking that she's a, a normal person when she gets killed on live TV. Um, so those those two stories, I think, were really, really excellent. Um, and I think that was like sort of the highlight of the show for me. Um, I can't think of like an episode in particular that was my favorite, but um, I think those two character arcs were my favorite for sure. I... I have to agree with how Swindler progressed because the whole, the whole, like, I want to say the first five episodes, you're rooting for her to get out of it. You're rooting for her to get paid, get out Mm -hmm. and go back to normal. And, and as the show progresses, you're like, no, this is a roller coaster. We're still going up. And then when she gets back into town and uses her seal and they're like, (laughs) you are literally Mm -hmm. an Akudama. It's like, that's when it kind of hit for me. I was like, wait, where can she go? Who can she see? And and then we start that whole chase and her trying to escape with sister. But I think Swindler, like, I know she's the main character, essentially, mm-hmm. because she's the first one we meet. And we're supposed to immediately like her. Like, they did a really good job, like like you're saying, like, bringing her into who she is. Because she, she convinces the other Akudama that she hacked into the server and, like, erased her own file and hackers like not even i can do that how did you do that and then like something happens immediately so that she doesn't have to explain it and then through whatever circumstances happen because people keep referring to her as swindler and things like the executioners just start doing it so i assume they had to create a file for her yeah i assume so and then and then everything just takes off and and like you said her her payoff and uh, this this show just literally killing anyone and everyone it it's not done a lot like i know it's an original show and it's it was animated to be this long and, and be a one shot but i haven't experienced a show that was so ready to kill off characters i have actually since like i have see- the perfect really? example because this is how not to do it because i watched a show called akamega kill and you know Oh, it yeah, started I off strong, um, I thought, you know, it had a sort of, uh, I guess it was one of the first shows I watched that had that sort of like shocking twist where you just didn't see it coming. Like it started off being like the main character was like a cool hero guy and he was going to a new town to start his adventure. And then some super fucked up shit happens and he's like, you know, fucking traumatized about it. And then he joins, you know, a group of like like-minded sort of heroes i guess um and then throughout the course of the show over the i can't remember if it's a 12 or 20 episode sort of season but over the course of the whole run of the show pretty much everyone dies 
Well, actually, everyone does die except for one character, I think. Um, and yeah, I felt like a lot of their deaths just weren't satisfying or were done for shock value. You know, they just it was just like a shocking thing that happened and it came out of nowhere and it wasn't satisfying or wrapping up in their character arc or anything like that for a lot of them. Um, that's an example of a show that just kills characters for shock value. Um, and by the end, I was just like, yeah, whatever, kill them all. I don't care. Um, whereas this show is the opposite where every character is, there's a clear character arc in mind and, um, it's sort of like all really well written to wrap up nicely in that, that, you know, window. So it's sort of like the perfect comparison for me, like comparing that show to this show, um, how they handle character deaths, I guess. No, I, I, I remember watching the, I think the first 13 mm. or so episode. And then I remember they killed off a couple people that I was fond of. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this isn't funny. But like now that I've like, that was before I got hard into Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan's like, you love this character? They're dead. Yes, that's a good um, example though. Attack on Titan also does, you know, shock value stuff, right? But I think they set it up correctly in their world that, there's an expectation that everyone can die. You know, these people, even though they're main characters or yeah. we know them, they're not like superpowered heroes necessarily, you know, maybe current, current season yeah, notwithstanding. Um, but I think especially that, that first season um, and the second season, maybe um, they, they definitely established that like, these are just humans in this insane situation and people are going to die. So when people do die, it's not like, well, that was bullshit. It's more like, Yep, that's that shit will happen, you know. Fucking bad luck, but <laughs> that's what it is. Did you also notice <laughs> bad luck uh, that you <laughs> the episode names for the show? Did you notice those? They're all no, named after movies. Like episode one is seven, and it's like literally seven, like the movie, like S E the number seven E N. Then episode two is Reservoir Dogs. Episode three, Mission Impossible. Uh, and oh. No, now, now uh, I remember. I didn't yeah. notice anything obvious. I haven't seen like half of the movies that the episodes are named after, but the only thing that really stood out to me was The Shining, episode nine, which is the one where Cutthroat goes through the execution of HQ and kills everyone. And he goes, yep, and he, goes and he does the, the Shining door. reference. And then he gets stuck in the door, which is pretty funny. But um, that was like the one that was like, holy shit, that's a Shining reference. And then I looked at the episode name, and it's called The Shining. And I'm like, wait. So I went through and looked at all the other episodes. I'm like, oh my god, they're all named after movies. I just, I guess I didn't notice uh, any other references, maybe because I hadn't seen a lot of the movies. The only thing maybe I would have noticed is episode three was Mission Impossible. I... I'm trying to think, like, was there anything obvious that sort of, I can't remember what happened in episode three. Um, but yeah. I'd... Uh, now I understand the reference to speed because they were on the like the trains going into that decontamination zone uh, and the only option they have is to get off of it. But um, Dead Man Walking is the one, I believe, with um, Brawler dying. That sounds right. Episode 5 and then 6, Brother. They lose or they get in touch with Brother and all that stuff. But no, that's a cool, that's a cool Easter egg now that I see like the naming convention versus how it matches up because that's that's wildly smart not enough places it's it's fun i guess the you know the director or whatever is a big fan of those movies and sort of planned it around having some sort of small reference <laughs> to everything and the shining obviously being like the big reference which is very obvious and in your face but yeah i'd be curious to see what the other references were assuming that every episode had something um what did you think of the the ending uh yeah, how everything sort of wrapped up. Where I, like, uh, I love Hate It. So the last episode where we have, like, Courier doing that cool bike stuff mm -hmm. as the tower falls and, like, the bike's overheating and you're finally, like, seeing that he has limits and, and everything explodes, the city's in chaos, the executioners. And then um, just seeing the kids run. And how it's the like a flashback of to what um, Swindler was seeing as she died mm. was like bittersweet. Like I wanted a more concrete ending. Um, I know the kids were built to be who they were because of science, but we never really get to see Kanto. 
Um, we never get to see where this kid's destination is. We never get to see the resolution of their Whoa. story and them we... achieving where they wanted to go. Like, we don't get, like, a little... Yeah, episode, but we right? saw Kanto. I mean, that was... Was it episode 10 or episode 11? Like, the big twist being that uh, Kanto doesn't exist. And oh, that's right. Yeah. Th- yeah, it's all just... The, the way it works is that the train goes across the wasteland, and while you're going across the wasteland, you go into, like, a dream world, and the train separates your mind from your body and uploads your your consciousness, I guess, to, like, a digital form. And then when you get to Kanto, you just get uploaded into the supercomputer to live in, like, essentially heaven in a computer forever. And that's what happened to all the people of Kanto. There's no one actually there. It's just all... That makes... Yeah, it's them It's them getting more... Yeah, it's all them in the computer. And, right, you know, the funny. kids were designed to provide, essentially, eternal parts for the machine to live on in so that those people in Kanto can live forever sort of thing. Um, okay, so I, I like, see... I, I knew I skipped an episode. Yeah, so... But... The, I think I skipped 11. That's crazy. You should definitely not have skipped any episodes. Um, yeah. No, like, I thought I went through them all, but it feels um, like I'm missing something. But, yeah, the, the ending is, it's sort of, it's ambiguous on one hand, like, you don't know how they ended up, you know? That There's not, like, a concrete, like, they arrive at a, a hidden village in the mountains and they're going to live yeah, yeah. after it. But I also think it was concrete enough that you know that they got away. Um, at least that's what I think in my mind. Um, you know, everyone's sacrifice uh, leads to them getting away and being free. And, you know, we know that they can live, they live forever because of their design um, and they can't be injured. So I guess they'll figure it out somehow, I guess, away from the city and away from, you know, the people that were after them. Um, Yeah, that's sort of what I took away from it. I think, uh, I think I was so happy with how everything else in the show wrapped up that I was okay with the show taking this liberty and giving the sort of mildly ambiguous ending to the kids because I think it sort of just, it will just fit for me. Um, but I can get, if you're the sort of person that wants more concrete answers, um, that totally makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. Well, um, I guess we kind of wrapped up there, but is this an anime like, I know you mm-hmm. recommended it to us to watch, but we always talk about, we have, like, the new fans to anime, the experienced uh, fans, and then we have our hardcore fans. Do you think this is a universal anime that those three groups would enjoy, or do you think it's one of those things you would hold back until you knew someone better? Huh. Um, I think at a baseline, I would have to know that they're okay with violence, you know, because it is a very violent show, so yeah. I think that's, like, baseline. I think I could... Mm, I could recommend this to someone that isn't necessarily an anime veteran as long as I knew they were going to go in with an open mind because I'm just trying to run through the show in my head and I'm trying to think like I don't feel like the show was overly tropey in anime stuff like there wasn't I think maybe some character designs um, were a little bit like you know extreme and stuff like the Doctor for example but I don't think that that's like I don't think it was egregious at least to my eyes, and they didn't really lean on any super um, off-putting anime tropes, I don't think. I think it... Yeah, we didn't have any of the stereotypical, like, falling down. Yeah, no, there's shots, no real like... excessive fan service or anything like that. And I think the only character that can yeah. really be seen as sexy is, like, it's, like, core to her character, her character story, I guess. Like, she made herself that way, so it yep. all sort of fits it's not like they're you know for no purpose essentially um so i think if if i knew someone was okay with the violence first of all and that they were sort of like open to seeing something a bit different yeah i could recommend this because i think it's a genuinely good show i think it's crazy and you'd have to like pay attention to keep up with everything that's going on um and it's sort of maybe information or Mm -hmm. visual overload sometimes but um yeah, it's very like it's like the city scenes uh, when they're on the mm-hmm. the yeah. airship bus, that whole thing. Like it's so it's so beautiful. Like they they do a good job building an environment that you can get into. And I like again, I was I was hooked the second episode. So, um, with our review here and talk about Akudama Drive done, we're gonna get into what mm-hmm. we want to watch next week. 
Um, and because it's just bouncing back uh, between Element and I, uh, we kind of came to agree on a show that I watched one episode on, uh, but I wanted to watch more, didn't have time, and I believe that's going to be Majo yep, no Tabitai. Right. Yeah, and so if you want to watch that uh, along with us, we'll post it in the Discord to say when we're starting it. Um, we're going to try and get these things done every two weeks, so uh, keep up with us there. Uh, as well, like Bakako Podcast on Twitter, uh, we're always trying to keep mm-hmm. up to date there. Uh, Bakako Podcast at gmail.com. I'm not getting as much traffic as I used to, uh, but you can still reach me there. It's linked to my phone, so if you legitimately want to have a conversation with me through email, you're not comfortable with Discord, go for it. Um, and I believe that's going to wrap everything up. So we're, we want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, like I've been saying, we appreciate all that feedback. We're, we're still the new kids on the block. It is our one-year anniversary on the 25th of August. Uh, so we're going to try and get some stuff ready for that. Uh, if you have any suggestions, send them our way. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.